This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Salima Bellani is an award-winning serial entrepreneur, keynote speaker and professor, and the author of Innovation Starts With I, which is out now on pre-order. At 21, Salima co-founded and launched Brazil's largest and number one language school to finance an orphanage and social development programs, which has taught several thousands of students to date. Currently, Salima is the founder and CEO of Ripple Impact, which helps entrepreneurs increase their influence and impact through accelerating the growth of their platforms and businesses. She also teaches design thinking and entrepreneurship at John Hopkins University and is a frequent guest lecturer at business schools. Salima Velani, welcome to ClientSide. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on your show. Yeah, absolute pleasure speaking to you. Your background and history is absolutely fascinating. Let's start there. At 21, you co-founded and launched Brazil's largest language school to finance an orphanage and social development programs, which has taught several thousands of students, as we said in, in the intro. You're an adjunct professor, you're an author, you've set up many other businesses as well. In addition to that, you speak English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian, born and raised in Canada, lived in the Dominican Republic, Italy, the USA, and East Africa, and you have Indian roots. How do all of these experiences influence your worldview and the way that you think about building business and entrepreneurship today? Yeah, great question. And I think that, you know, just thinking about my own story, now that I reflect back at it, I think that, you know, I, I actually became an entrepreneur without realizing I was becoming an entrepreneur. And when I was doing all those things, I was just busy chasing my passion and, and my vision and and just going for it and and really trying to solve, um, not always trying to solve a problem, but trying to solve my own problem of uh, trying to survive and live abroad when I was young and in my early 20s and wanting to live abroad in Brazil and Italy. And it really just started from planting a great idea. And I think it was ultimately, you know, in survival, I was in survival mode during the financial recession back in, um, you know, 2008, 2009. And it was ultimately just taking, you know, the ideas that I had to survive that crisis uh, abroad and uh, not able to get a job. And it was really about, uh, you know, reinventing and testing things and testing ideas and being able to take one of them that really, you know, one of them that did really well upon testing and pivoting and iterating and going through the cycles of, you know, the learning cycles of figuring out, okay, now there's a problem to solve after executing the idea and then pivoting the business around solving that problem for our clients. And I think it was not so much trying to solve a problem or trying really hard to be an entrepreneur, but it was really doing what, I don't like to say just do what you're passionate about, but when I was in an uncomfortable situation, how do I uh, you know, solve that for myself? And how do I test different things? And I think the testing of ideas is really key because we don't always have to be solving a problem. We can have ideas and ideas that align with who we are hmm. and uh, chase after them and, and make them happen. And, and then we can sort of fit them around the problem that we could eventually solve later. Really interesting. There's, there's so much for us to talk about because you've achieved so much at, at still such a relatively young age. I, don't, I hope you don't mind me saying that, but we're going to talk about everything from your book to social entrepreneurship to talent and building teams, which I know you have a, a keen interest and expertise in. And also sort of growth, your own personal growth as an entrepreneur and how you help other businesses grow. But let's start 
by talking about your book, which you've recently written, which is also on pre-order right now. Innovation starts with I. Innovation starts with self-awareness, you say. What do you mean by that? Yeah, innovation starts with I. That's a, it's a very interesting concept that I think through, uh, you know, it started off when I was keynoting, my first keynote a few years ago at a Women in Tech conference. And I actually, um, you know, it was just a slide uh, that I thought was interesting. It was a concept about innovation starts with I. And it, I was even not sure if, because, you know, there was obviously a lot of controversy around that because innovation isn't just about I or the leader. It's about um, teams. It's about working with other people. And so I wanted to basically state that innovation is not just about the individual per se, but it starts with that individual. It gets ignited through our uniqueness, through our authenticity, through our mindset and having that innovative mindset. And it gets executed and it happens with teams and communities and can have a ripple impact into the world, which my book is all about. But essentially, I think that there is a lot of focus when it comes to you know innovation and entrepreneurship on empathy. Let's solve a problem. Let's try to understand the people that we're trying to solve a problem for. And I think that the issue with that is, in my own experience, um, you know, trying to just solve a problem or just trying to, um, you know, trying to understand other people without really understanding who you are and what are your unique skills, what are you doing that's aligned to who you are and knowing your sweet spot, which is essentially, you know, what you, what comes easy to you, what puts you in flow, what you're, you can become really good at. It's not necessarily something that you already are very good at, but where there's that untapped potential, I think really finding that sweet spot and developing it, I say it's like discovering and developing your sweet spot. I think that's key. Uh, I think that's really, really key. And I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to do that. And self-awareness, you know, is important in order to have empathy. And I think self-awareness is not just you know, knowing how we see ourselves, but how other people see us. And I think that it's not a new concept, but I think that it has been um, left out of the innovation conversation. Who Who is the audience for the book? Is it a, a relatively new sort of entrepreneur, sort of startup founder? Is it a more seasoned founder that has a little bit more, a few more notches under their belt? Is it more for sort of I guess, entrepreneurs in established organizations that want to make that leap. Who is the book for and what do you hope that readers will take away from it? Yeah, so it's essentially for, you know, I write it for the closeted entrepreneur within us. So oftentimes people that are looking to make a change in their life or pivot in some way and are wanting to grow more professionally and personally. So I think it will resonate with anyone that's trying to go through more of that growth and discover more of themselves. But ultimately it's for the entrepreneurs um, it does, you know, attract quite a few people in the innovation space since it is a different uh, lens in the innovation world. It's a more human lens. You know, we, we talk about in the book, I talk about each chapter is a different human capability. So we talk about future of work skills, but ultimately each chapter is a different, I call them, you know, human capabilities since you can take those uh, capabilities and adapt and switch them to different contexts. And so uh, it's really for the entrepreneurs early stage, especially uh, that they want that, you know, mindset shift. They want to hear stories. They want to learn how other people have done it because the book isn't just my, I mean, there's a lot of my personal story, but I've also interviewed a hundred different entrepreneurs and innovators and leaders and getting their insights. And so it's, it's, it's rich of insights and uh, personal story and some quotes and um, yeah, it has quite a bit, a lot of tools and frameworks. So there's actually a digital workbook that can, that goes along with it, but essentially it has a lot of tools and frameworks for people to actually put into action the learnings from the book. So it's not just reading, it's it's actually 
being able to to apply it to one's life and mm. grow to the next level, whether you're trying to take your business to the next level, make a pivot, you know, just we're, we're all, I like to say, you know, hybrid printers in a way where we should strive to become a hybrid printer because I think a lot of people think, okay, you're either an entrepreneur or you're an intrapreneur. And I think that I struggled because I was like, well, why can't you just be both and, and not look at it like one or the other? Why are people always like, I need to, you know, work this many years to start my own thing or I need to like, I just want to quit corporate and just do my own thing. And I think we've seen a lot of entrepreneurs failing and we've seen a lot of people that don't last in jobs and that actually hurts our economy. You know, we have to support those large organizations. Sure. So how can we come together and stop looking at this as in a very siloed way, but actually see that, you know, we should be practicing hybrid partnership where we're doing multiple things that hedges our risk that, you know, we can diversify the different things that we do where we're doing something that we, you know, earn our money from that, that makes us our profit. I don't like to say just follow your passion or chase that to uh, make, you know, that money. I think that we all have to find creative ways to do that. And I think um, it's really about being authentic and figuring out how, you know, how you can do that without feeling like you just have to, you know, have a job to do this and then do you, you can do that. But I think that ultimately it's being creative with how you split up your time between you know, the, the activities that you earn your money from, the activities that you're passionate about, the things that you can learn and grow from, as well as uh, giving back to the community and having an impact. What's been the most surprising or interesting thing that you've learned through researching and writing the book? I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I think most people have, have a book in them. But what's been the most interesting or revealing or surprising thing to you through researching the book, through doing those interviews with the other entrepreneurs that you found out through writing it? Sure. Yeah. So one of the biggest things is, well, first off uh, with the book, for anyone that's trying to write a book, it's like a business. Uh, You have to (laughs) build an audience early on. You have to, you will go through different pivots along the way. Uh, It's not easy. And so depending on what kind of book you're writing, it it, just like with businesses or startups, you know that it's going to take long, but it always takes longer. Mm. And um, I would say that one of the biggest insights I had through the process was when I got stuck, I decided to go and talk to people. So I went on a what I call the 100 coffee challenge, which is another story of itself. But I went and interviewed 100 people because I was like, I want to make this book bigger than myself. I want to learn from other people because I don't want to just share my own insights because I, you know, we're constantly influencing and being influenced by other people. Sure. And so just going through that process, I built a lot of great relationships. It led me to actually, I ended up doing a, a few design thinking workshops around the world. I traveled to Liberia, to Morocco, to to Portugal, to, you know, to Panama, I actually visited through those interviews. People were like, you know, you should go talk to more entrepreneurs in emerging markets, go talk to people. Don't don't just focus on North America. And being a person that, you know, works globally, I I decided to go and and go down to the fields, go down to these communities, go to these co-working spaces and innovation hubs in different countries. And I realized that our world is a lot smaller than we often perceive or think. And so that was a very interesting insight that, a lot of the same problems we experience uh, among, you know, entrepreneurs, they're, I mean, they, they, of course, they vary in different countries, but ultimately, there are a lot of the same issues around the mindset and, and resilience, having emotional resilience and mm. having these capabilities like the self-awareness, the empathy, collaboration, a lot of the different capabilities that my book talks about. Really interesting. Final question on that, because I'm, I'm fascinated by this. What did you take away from the entrepreneurs in emerging markets and developing countries that is different to that in North America or even Western Europe? Because 
in North America and Western Europe, there are developed markets, there is uh, infrastructure, there's more, there's more certainty around a number of things in emerging markets. It, it's emerging for a reason. So to a certain extent, there's an even greater responsibility or reliance to be innovative or to be creative or to be resilient. What have you learned or take away from taken away from the entrepreneurs in emerging markets that is different and more beneficial to their environment or situation? Yeah, so it's very interesting. And that's where the differences become more apparent is that entrepreneurship is more, you know, what we would think real entrepreneurship out of necessity, like really trying to solve a problem in those countries or in those societies where it's it's a day-to-day -day thing. You know, you go to, I was actually just talking to some Zambian entrepreneurs and they were like, hey, how can we use design thinking to sell more fish? <laughs> like very, very basic problems. Um, mm. So it's not so much, we don't have as much of the entrepreneur, people just wanting to become an entrepreneur because they think it's, you know, a path to freedom or because of the lifestyle or all the different reasons that we often experience here in more advanced economies. But oftentimes in those countries, people are really trying to solve problems uh, in their own communities and their villages. And so that was very interesting that they're often um, not doing it. They're often, they often have a day job or doing something else, but they're really trying to you know, do it oftentimes as a nonprofit or as a way to um, really solve a problem that's important in their country. And so that was that. Also, there's also a big lack of the you know, entrepreneurial infrastructure in several of those countries where the governments and the, you know, the, there's not a lot of support or resources or communities. Now, there's been a lot with, you know, a lot of like WhatsApp communities now that have emerged and different um, communities have emerged, co-working spaces, collaboration and innovation hubs. But again, it's very much around the people that have access to that, right? So you do have um, a lot of inequality in those countries where um, there, are, there are people that have access to those resources that are connected to, to the global community and, and have access. And then there's, you know, the ones that we often don't even get to know or, or, or read about because they're in their villages and they're uh, entrepreneurs, you know, artisans, um, you know, working in, in markets, all kinds of stuff. And they're, they're the ones that we often don't get to hear about. And they often have a lot of resilience because they're out there hustling. <laughs> so sure. I think that oftentimes um, they have the, the hustle, they have the, they have the, the resilience, they have a lot of what it takes to become an entrepreneur, but they often don't have the resources. Whereas here we often have the resources, we have access to education and all that, but then right. the, the emotional resilience is hard the grit. because yeah, the grit. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Really interesting. Let's let's talk a little bit about social entrepreneurship. What advice do you have for businesses that want to make money but also want to do some good in the world at the same time? Because it, it's not easy to do both. It's, it's hard enough to create a product that or service that people value and want and want to spend their hard earned money on. In addition to that, how, what advice do you have people for people that want to make the world a better place, as well as just, you know, creating a product that solves a problem? Yeah. So I would say that for that, I think there's been the emergence of social entrepreneurship, which now it's, you know, there's, a lot of different uh, opinions around that it was very very big about a decade ago and now it's sort of like okay do you want to be called a social entrepreneur how is that being perceived a lot of people have shifted towards saying i'm an impact founder or impact entrepreneur um, or have incorporated you know social impact into my company and we see a lot of interesting hybrid models because we see that oftentimes when people just focus on social impact it's very very hard to scale it's very hard to often get the resources they need to to sustain themselves and 
you know, a lot of them don't want to move towards a nonprofit model, but um, we've seen a lot of cre- creative models emerge where, um, you know, I always say it's important to have, you know, study your growing revenue first, be able to have growth on the profit side, and then be able to incorporate social impact into the activities of the company. But once the company is stable enough to, once the company, you know, is on its own feet. And so I think that oftentimes we see people that are, let me try to solve this social impact issue. And it's, it can be really, really hard without having a, you know, a sustainable way to, to grow um, mm-hmm. and from a revenue standpoint. So I think that, you know, whether, whether you have impact incorporated into your company, whether you're able to be sustainable enough to, to work with corporate sponsors or, or, or work with partners in a very strategic way um, to incorporate that impact. I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, opportunity right now to what, what one thing that we do with my company right now is we are, you know, we're based in the US, but we also have a headquarters in Colombia. So I'm very passionate about, you know, growing and um, hiring people in, in different countries and growing our team and being able to uh, work with people in, in, you know, different economies around the world, not just necessarily within the advanced economies, but sure. really trying to, um, you know, create jobs in some of these emerging countries, a lot of the emerging economies. And so that's something I've always done from the very early days of my journey as an entrepreneur with my translation business. You know, it was in a way it was more competitive, it was cheaper to hire people, um, in a lot of those places, but they also had the talent and they now had the internet access. So a lot of the translators I worked with were in emerging market countries. And so I think ultimately trying to figure out like, what does impact mean to you? What are your impact metrics? And then figuring out how you can um, incorporate that, whether it's, you know, growing your team in in different markets and different emerging markets, whether it's, um, you know, having a product that solves an issue or, or like a, you know, an impact arm of the company that can, um, you know, provide whether it's um, scholarships or provide, you know, you get really, really creative with partnerships. I think that with this future work that we've already entered, it's about these unconventional partnerships that we have to sort of get creative and figure out how we can actually have an impact without, you know, it costing necessarily everything to the company that it will often kill the company, but how can we do it in a creative way where we're leveraging, leveraging partnerships? Let's talk a little bit about your your business. You're currently the founder and CEO of Ripple Impact, which helps entrepreneurs increase their influence and impact through accelerating the growth of their platforms and businesses. What problems do your customers typically have and how do you solve them? Yeah, so currently my company, Ripple Impact, what we do is we're sort of a business accelerator also with, we also operate a bit like a creative agency since we not only give strategy consulting, we, we give advice to entrepreneurs, especially solopreneurs that are struggling because they don't have teams and they're trying to do it all themselves. They're the visionary, they're the executor, they're the strategist, they're also the designer oftentimes, and, or they're trying to, you know, work with um, different people to help them execute in some way, but d- don't always have the right strategy in place. And so they're not always doing work. They're oftentimes busy, but not necessarily busy in the right way. <laughs> and so, and they, they often buy into the lifestyle of an entrepreneur thinking that it will, you know, give them a path to freedom and that be able to have that balance. But they oftentimes find themselves very overwhelmed trying to do everything themselves. Sure. And so uh, it can be very hard to grow and, you know, forget about scaling. They can, they can, oft- it's hard for them to, to really grow. And so we, we ultimately step in at that point for entrepreneurs that are serious about building their businesses. We help them. We provide, you know, strategy consulting advice around branding, repositioning themselves, business, 
marketing and mostly those areas of business branding and marketing. And, and then we also have, you know, our, our team of strategists, we also have um, an execution team that helps. So we have, you know, designers, we have video editors, we have a creative team that I mentioned is based in Colombia and in different parts of the world. And we ultimately are able to provide this service really, really accessibly. You know, it's very accessible to, to entrepreneurs because they don't have to worry about hiring their own team. They don't have to worry about hiring just a business coach. And then now they have to do it all themselves. They don't have to just buy into these expensive programs where it's like, Hey, we'll teach you everything, but now go figure out how you're going to do it and overwhelm them. Since a lot of us are very overwhelmed with information. And so my company is really for people that are not just like, okay, I just want more information. They're like, no, I want advice. That's good. That's proven from a team that's helped build my own platform. And I also want help repositioning myself to show up how, you know, where I want to end up versus where I am right now. So with that repositioning, it really helps drive business and accelerate their growth and attract opportunities based on where they want to be versus where they are right now. Really interesting. You you spend a lot of your time today talking about or or really helping your clients build global teams of of talent. And, and I guess that's what you've had to do for yourself in your own businesses. What have you learned about the best way of identifying the best people, recruiting the best people, understanding what qualities the best people share, regardless of their background and ethnicity, etc. What have you learned about hiring and working with the best people? Yeah. So some of the things I've learned, you know, we're constantly recruiting. And so I would say that, you know, really trying to see how much homework the candidates have done before um, talking to you. So if you're doing an interview, you really want to vet and see how much research they've done on your company and who you are. Just seeing that they've done their homework, that they're proactive, I think that's key. And so mm-hmm. that they that shows that they're, you know, they might have an entrepreneurial mindset or come in eager to to come and make a difference and contribute their best. I think also interviewing a few different people is key because I think that oftentimes you might think the first person we talk to, oh, I like them. But then when you talk to, you know, two or three more people, you're like, oh, sure. So I think really trying to, you know, figure out what's the criteria and then against that criteria, um, who, who is qualified or who aligns with that criteria. And then also trying to see what kinds of suggestions they would have and actually tell them a problem that you're going through and see how they would, uh, you know, I've tried hypothetical ones, but I think it's always best to actually just give them a real problem. Hey, this is what we're going through. How would you solve this? Mm. And try to see how they think. I think that it's one thing to have skills. I think it's another to actually see what's their ability to, to learn and think. Are they a fast learner? Um, how much are they able to adapt a lot of their emotional intelligence skills? How, how good are their communication skills, uh, their resilience skills? Are they going to show up motivated and, you know, are they going to be fun to work with? And so a lot of these different uh, questions and really getting creative. I think that it's, um, I always try to design interviews in such a way that, um, and, and also adapt on the spot to see how they would react and, um, what kinds of ideas they come up with. And I think then at that point, when you're ready to hire, I think it's key to do the testing. As I mentioned, testing is is such a key component of everything that you do as an entrepreneur and uh, really trying to test them through after the interview on like tasks or practice, you know, like a practice test or there's different ways you can even do that virtually uh, with some accountability in there. But essentially trying to see how they'd actually perform before bringing them on board because an interview is not enough. And so you want to see how they actually work. And then at that point, having some sort of like test period or, um, you know, the first couple of months to just see how they would they would work and how how good a fit it is for for both parties and then bringing them on full time or however you want to structure it. But we generally go through a process like that since we find it works best to to do it in those steps. 
Mm, really interesting. Um, just bringing the interview towards a, a close now, Salima. Last few questions about uh, sort of your own growth as an entrepreneur over the last few years, well, since the age of 21. Um, and then we'll get into our, our, our favorite questions, our speed round. How do you grow your skills as an entrepreneur? Mentorship, books, resources, podcasts. How do you keep growing and developing as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think it's about constantly touching base and growing. My mentors, like who was my mentor a couple of years ago, probably isn't my mentor today. So it's constantly upgrading uh, my mentors and who I, um, you know, connect with and can learn from. I think having conversations without them being formal mentors. For me, I just think talking to people, different experts in different fields that are relevant or sometimes not even exactly my field, but trying to see how someone else would look at, you know, what I'm doing. And, and I get really great ideas from talking to diverse people. Um, I think that yeah, reading books, I think joining communities is great for accountability around that. So if it's being part of a book club, uh, I like to join different uh, communities with different sorts of professionals where I sort of get access to those resources or those trainings, webinars, etc. Um, I think also just being out of one's comfort zone, I think that's the most important thing. And uh, for me, it was always traveling. I travel quite a bit. Now it's obviously not as easy and, and not as frequent. Mm. Uh, but I think really trying to be in a different place, I think that that for me is um, has been really, really important. Just being in a different country, being in a different setting in a, in a way that's, you know, really close to the local community like that has taught me a lot to adapt. And I've learned different languages. I've, um, you know, learned about different cultures. And I think travel is such a such a key component for that growth. Mm -hmm. And I think just building in that, you know, those learning opportunities, whether it's taking courses, uh, you know, talking to all sorts of people, reading books, I think, I think it's really spending time alone as well. And, and really trying to be less busy. I think trying to, you know, trying to calm our minds a bit too sometimes and mm. allow the space for ideas to come in. I think that's really key as well. Really interesting. You mentioned books there. Which books have been most instrumental in the way that you think about entrepreneurship, your own business journey, your own growth as an entrepreneur? Which books would you go back to time and time again? Yeah, one of my favorite books. It's it's a it's called Steal Like an Artist, and it's one of my Austin favorite books. Austin Kleon. Yes, it's a lot of fun. It's just a really great read, and I can just read it, and every time I'll pick up something different from it. And great book. It's just really well illustrated and like yeah. a creative visual book, and I, I love that book. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of other books that I have on my list as well that I often go back to and read a chapter from. But, but I have to say that one's my favorite because I think it really mm. shifted the way that I um, saw things and enabled me to to innovate more as a, you know, as an entrepreneur and be able to not feel bad about, um, you know, Stealing taking existing, idea. <laughs> yeah, like, like taking existing things and adapting it in a new way. Cause I was always yeah. trying to start stuff from scratch and I was sure. failing at that. And every time I failed, I was like, Hey, why am I solving all these other problems when I should just work on problems that have already been solved and, but maybe there's room to, to, to do more with it. So, yeah. Definitely. Really quite a liberating book, actually. Sort of one of those books that really gives you permission to do the things that it makes sense for entrepreneurs to do. Why are we trying to reinvent the wheel when everything that we've tried to do has already been done probably 10 times better by other people? One of my favorite books as well. Let's get into our speed round now. These are our, our questions a little bit more about you, the person behind the brand. Uh, I'll fire some questions at you. If you can fire some short, sharp answers back, that would be great. First 
question. What's your guilty technology pleasure? <laughs> That's a good question. My guilty technology pleasure. Hmm. I'd probably say online shopping. I, I didn't want to say that, but I'd say <laughs> between between Amazon and one of my favorite stores, Anthropology, I I just right. get their notifications and I and I tend to um, I tend to browse. I don't always shop, but I just tend to to look at stuff. What excites you most about your current role and position? I love the fact that even though I'm the founder and CEO, I can really step down and let my team lead. And so it's really exciting to have built a team where I can empower them to to take the lead and. I can also just be down in the, you know, work in the trenches with the clients on these problems and really work behind the mm. scenes to help them shine and be successful. I, I really, really enjoy that. If you weren't doing your current job, what would you be doing and why? If I wasn't the CEO of my current company, I'd probably go work for another organization where I can have a bigger impact, which I also considered when the pandemic hit. Probably work for an organization where I can actually be like an entrepreneur in residence, really change things around. Uh, I know a lot of companies need that. And I started to dive into that space a bit, but I decided to, to just go on my own again and start another company. <laughs> I'm really excited to, to know the answer to this question because you've lived in so many different amazing places. But if you could live and work anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? That's a hard one because I like so many different places. <laughs> I'd have to say probably, um, you know, I have my heart in Latin America since that's where I spent a lot of time and specialized in as well in my career and education, though I'd probably say I'd probably go to Colombia just because most of my team, a lot of my team's there and it's a beautiful country and um, there's just a lot of diversity. And I'd probably, mm. you know, just make stuff happen out there and it's in a similar time zone. Mm. Good answer. And my final question, Salima, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs on how to create profit with purpose? I'd say focus on figuring out the profit part first and then keep purpose in mind. And, and you know, you can definitely have purpose in your vision, but figure out how you can make the profit first. And then and then you can really focus harder on the purpose and actually make more impact. Excellent. Salima, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. This is really, really fun. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for so much for having me on the show. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email elva at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Elva Bonsal, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.